0: Hi, my name's Steve Claridge. You're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast.
1: Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. I'm Luke Edwards. Thank you very much for joining us. And here, as always, is Dickie Wharton. Hello, Dickie. Good afternoon, Luke. Good to see you. Thank you very much. And the other lads are away, Robin. Chris uh, have got other duties on and Tom's got fatherly duties. But during the week, Dickie, Rob and Chris did catch up with the Borehamwood trio of Josh Reese, Will Evans and manager Luke Garrard to look back on that amazing FA Cup victory at Bournemouth and ahead to their FA Trophy tie at Wrexham.
0: Last Sunday, National League Borehamwood knocked out Bournemouth, third in the championship, 73 places above them in the uh, Football League pyramid to become only, the only team from League One, League Two or the National League and below through to the last 16 of this year's FA Cup. Now, uh, having had a few days to get their heads around it, I'm delighted to say that we've been joined, not one, not two, but three of those uh, likely suspects. Uh, we've got the manager, Luke Garrard. All right, Luke. How are we? We've got official title here before his name now, man of the match, Will Evans. Doing you OK? Good stuff. And we've got, in my opinion, the best goal-scoring midfielder in the National League, someone who, Mr Garrard, uh, the aforementioned, managed to prize away from my beloved Aldershot in the summer. Hello, Josh. Hi, guys. Seriously, chaps, all joking apart, thank you very, very much for joining us. Um, I know, uh, Luke, you'll have had your moments to kind of, uh, you know, let this sink in and your mind will be very much turned towards the game that you've got tomorrow now, but... I'm not going to let you get away with this one, Luke. You said repeatedly, I think, after the game, it hasn't really sunk in. It. it hasn't really sunk in yet. You've had five or six days now to let it sunk in, uh, sink in. Sorry, you were very emotional immediately after the game. Um, can you try and describe for us what those emotions were like? What you were going through? What you were feeling at that time? When all of a sudden, you know, you're through. You've beaten Bournemouth from the Championship.
2: I've been now manager of Bournemouth for seven years, six seasons, and to achieve what we achieved that evening, I wouldn't want to do it with any other group of lads. Like today, the the boys will tell you, the togetherness in this group is second to none. And it helps winning games, Rob. Don't get me wrong, and it sets an atmosphere and there's a mentality that comes with it. I'll be, yeah, I'll be very surprised if Reese and Will said that they've been in better dressing rooms. I'll be very surprised. The togetherness that we showed the other night was fantastic, and yeah, I thought Willow was unbelievable, and I thought Reesie was unbelievable, and they've both been two marquee signings this season. And to go and achieve what we've achieved, yeah, it's immense it for all of us. And was it? Was it? Were you just a
0: little overwhelmed? Was it? Was it? Was pride the overriding emotion that you felt when you were trying to wipe the tears back? <laughs>
2: a bit of moisture it's in the I, corner of your eye. Yeah. I'm going to go a little bit deep. I lost my mum four years ago. So it would have been really... I, I, my father and my brother, all my mates were in the stand and I would have loved my mum to be there. So the the initial feeling was that. Then mm. it then it was obviously watching Will and all the boys go into the crowd. And I had to take a step back because I want, I'm i old enough now and the experience comes. I want to enjoy their moments. And them sort of things don't come around often enough. You get a lot of lows in football, not many highs. And to yeah to take a step back and enjoy that was was massive. I've not come down yet. I, I, it hasn't set in. Frank Lampard messaged me on Monday. He messaged me, sent me a text on Monday. Unbelievable, but I think, for me, it will start to gear up the week leading up to the game. The focus has to turn back to Wrexham, and the lads will tell you, I'm, I'm really boring when it comes to it. The, the run of one is very important to us. The run of one,
0: win the next game, absolutely. I remember you saying that earlier on in the season after you beat an beaten shot and you did go in the next game. Um, Will, just coming to you, um, kind of bonkers, wasn't it? The celebrations and that afterwards, and, and for you as well, straight in front of the cameras, you've been picked as man of the match. Um, was that your best FA Cup moment? And if not, why not?
3: <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. That was the, up there, obviously, with the best. Um, similar to the gaffer, like you said, all his family and that there. Literally, I ran over to the, to our fans, and right at the bottom, like right at the front of the crowd, was my little brother, and he's six foot six, um, and he's grabbed me and just pulled me in. Do you know what I mean? And there's a photo of it. To be fair, and it's just like even now, I've got se- someone sent it to me earlier, and it's like even like you said, you are getting emotional just watching that because there are so many lows in football, but the highs are unbelievable, and I think that's why we stay in the game. But um, yeah it's it was just an incredible 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 feeling um and for like as well seeing all them fans there because we don't get many fans obviously on a, on a weekly basis, but then seeing them come out in their numbers was it was it was incredible really yeah it, it, it was an amazing achievement and
0: um Josh i know you'll have long moved on from it now, but aside from defending superbly keeping the clean sheet getting the goal when it came along. I thought you guys had a couple of fairly decent penalty shouts, one of which was on you, Josh. Um, how did you see it at the time?
4: Uh, I think the first one happened within the first minute of the game and uh, I think I think I've, from what I've been told is that if the VAR was, uh, was available during the game, we probably would have got it. Um, I probably should have gone down in the first one but I thought there was a chance I might get onto the end of it. Uh, but the second one, I'm I, I don't see how it wasn't a penalty really enough. But at the end of the day, we moved on and um, I think that's credit to us as a team. We didn't kind of get bogged down with not getting those decisions when, let's be honest, we we're probably going to need a bit of luck going our way. Uh, but um, no, credit to us. I think we got on with the job, didn't fret over it. And um, once we got the goal, um, like you say, we defended so well. Um, bodies on the line. Um, yeah, And I think overall, uh, we deserved it.
0: And Dickie, I think you've got a question about the Woods uh, defensive record this season.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was watching, I watched the game as, as we all did, um, for those of us who weren't participating in it. <laughs> um, and I thought to myself, if there's, if there's a single team in the National League that I would back to hold on to a 1-0 lead, it would be Bournemouth. Because you were just so tight defensively. I mean, I think it's 15 goals in the league. 13 clean sheets you've not conceded in the FA Cup yet I mean I just look and think the the most you obviously work on the defensive side of the game but it feels to me like it's it's almost something you pride yourselves on as well as a team is that right
2: Uh, listen for me we set up a press to go to Bournemouth (laughs) I mean Troy Deeney's on match of the day and he's showing us on their sort of sort of but their board, symposium board, pressing with an intent. And then Rees is a massive part of that. The two strikers, the wing backs. And I remember saying, speaking to the hierarchy, the club, I'm going to, go, we're going to go and press. You can't press Bournemouth. And I went, no, we can. We actually can because for me, the defensive record starts from the top of the pitch. Willow was unbelievable on the night. Dave Stevens been colossal. Connor Stevens to come in and play on his debut was amazing. Tayashby Hammond, I haven't got to speak how highly I think of him. Bodes, Marshy, Danilo Marshy, Danilo Bodes, Recy, they press from the front and they, and Willow, you'd admit this, they do a lot of your work for you. They, they yeah, allowed a poor quality back to front. We get a higher start position. So yeah, the defensive record isn't because of that defensive unit. And trust me, Willow, like, do we do a lot of really overloads against our defence? I don't think so. I think we do a lot of setting up and how we press from throw-ins yeah. and deep free kicks and goal kicks. And yeah, I think as a group, we we're, we we know our jobs. We're well drilled. We're organised. Will said to me today, "People don't like playing against us. When we get it right, we get it right." And and this is horrible for me to say because I genuinely think I've got the best centre half in Will Evans. I think I've got the best number ten in the league in in Reese. individually, Notts County, Stockport, Chesterfield have better players. I think collectively, we're, we're, we'll we go toe-to-toe with anyone. Anyway. And that's our strength, in my opinion. And that's why I think we've had the defensive record we've had. And I don't mean that, as yes. I thought you bitch, you know I do. I think yeah. you're unbelievable, but we know what our strengths are. And that's what the boys are brought into, hugely.
4: Can I just say on that... Um... Being more further up the pitch, in other teams I've played in, with, I've played with some teams with some individual defenders who are unbelievable, and with us, we've got un- unbelievable individual defenders, but they do their jobs week in, week out. I mean a lot of defenders I see in this league have the potential to do things out of the ordinary, and they do it, and it costs them it, they make mistakes. With our guys, they do the seven out of 10 things, 10 out of 10, all the time. And it's credit to them, really. They don't get too comfortable. The mentality is, I think the gaffer's summed it up, really. The mentality of the defence is unbelievable, uh, the consistency of it. And they never, whatever the occasion, whether it be Bournemouth in the FA Cup fourth round or Willstone, no disrespect to Willstone, Willstone at home, uh, it's the same mentality all the time. And that's why the, the clean sheets, it's not a fluke, I don't think.
6: I mean, from my point of view, I think I think the match on uh, at the weekend was it was very much a, a landmark moment or a seminal moment. There's been a couple this season. I was at Stockport when they beat Bolton. I mean, that was a, a very different game. That was just an end-to-end attacking. There was mistakes all over the place. A really different game. But yours was a different game. I thought you were... I actually thought you were the better team. I thought you you, you bossed them for for long periods of the game. And I guess it's a question for all of you, really. I was just wondering... Are you aware that you're you're sort of flag bearers for the National League? Because National League has performed so well in this FA Cup, it's arguably performed better than uh, than some of the lower leagues as well. Are you aware of that? Uh, it's not a responsibility. Hopefully, it's not a burden, but the the, the sort of pride that comes with that.
3: Well, I think for us as a club, obviously, when I signed from Chesterfield, being like one of the bigger clubs in the National League the gaffer said to me, like we are the underdogs. Um, and I think even now, like it still think we feel like, yeah, like you said, we're not carrying the flag as such. Like we are the underdogs, like we are little old Bournemouth doing everyone proud. But I feel like we just, we just get about our business. We don't rave about it. Um, even in the, in the league table, like if you look on form or whatever, we and if say with the games in hand, we'd be top of the league if, the, if we carried on, if that made sense. But no one speaks about us, no one mentions us. Um, we just get about our business, and it's like, it's like with the clean sheets and the defending, like we just get about our business. We don't rave about it. We just we just do our jobs and move on to the next one. And uh, I guess it's the it's the classic saying of the gaffer, "Run of one," because it is literally just one game at a time don't shout about it, don't whatever and we just get on with it. So, that's how I feel. And, and what you
0: also didn't didn't shout about was Shimanga going week before the start, week two weeks before the start of the season about the fact that in my opinion, one of your best defenders is out injured right now, Jamal Fifield. He'll be so, he'll be so envious that you three will come on and he didn't because he did tell me he wants to come on, but we'll sort that out. Um, and, uh, of course, Nathan Ashmore as well. And, you know, a handy replacement there in Tay Ashby Hammond, who you must have seen play previously on loan at uh, Mainhead, I'm sure, Luke,
2: did you? Yeah, listen, when Ashmore went down at Chesterfield, I was watching my little boy at a game and I rang Dev because that, uh, Tay Ashby Hammond came up from Martin Brennan. Martin Brenham worked there at Fulham for a long time, so he knows the goalkeepers there. And Dev was like, yeah, he's this, this, and this. And I said, look, I'm going to take a chance on him. And I have to say, I love Ash, Nathan Ashmore. He's been colossal in what he's done for us at the football club. Te B. Hammond's taken the baton. And you say, obviously, Jamal Five. I think Jamal Five has been amazing. And I've got to be honest with you, I'll be beat opening the fridge. He loves it. So, in terms of that, he is probably going to be devastated he ain't on this evening. But <laughs> a big thing for me is, we, like, and I say to the boys, white noise, control what we can control. So, Ashmore getting injured at Chesterfield, it's like, okay, part that move on. Jamal Fifeel got injured at Halifax, no problem rec- record comes on. We've obviously brought Connor Stevens in because we are it's mad to say. Hopefully, fingers crossed we do the job tomorrow. We're going on all three fronts in, in March. That you don't say that as a National League club. It's it's incredible. But we're not Flash, we're not shouting from the rooftops, we're not. We're the underdog. I love the fact we're going under the radar. I love the fact that teams are playing more games than us. And it's mm. then down to us to go and control what we can control. Tomorrow's the biggest game of the season. We do a huddle every single day. And the boys will talk about the next game's the biggest game. That's what it is. Everton's in the, in the distant future. We'll worry about it when it comes about. Wrexham, we're going to Wrexham and we need to ensure that we, we, we cause an upset because we are still little old Boreham Wood. We are still the underdog and we need to go there and cause an upset. And we know that they're a fantastic side and we need to yeah. play at our maximum. But, yeah, we are flying the flag for National League. I have to say National League managers, coaches, players were brilliant in terms of getting in contact with me. And I can imagine the same for Will, same for Recy and for every other player. I think there's a unity when it comes to that. I think National League, they, they, people come together. Chris, your mate Dave Challoner rang me and said, I hope you get through the play- through the FA Trophy and you get through Everton, because then you've got to be playing five games in a week and you won't get in the playoffs. <laughs> so, I love Chally. Chally's unbelievable. But, yeah, there's great relationships throughout the whole of the National League. It's nice that we're flying the flag. Hopefully, we do everyone proud when we
0: go to Goodison Park. I shouldn't ask this. It's a bit cheeky, really. But fr- fr- from within the squad and that, any, is, is there actually any Everton fans in your squad? And would you admit to if there was? You see, you
2: see Kane Smith.
6: Yeah, he had uh, Tony Hibbert shirt on, didn't he?
2: Yeah, he is mad. So Vic (laughs) Abberas used to work for us as my assistant manager going eighteen months ago, and obviously he was the kit man at Arsenal. He'd know all the kit men. He knew that Kane was mad Everton. He had a real good relationship with the Everton kit man. He'd give him kit after kit after kit, and he'd give him. I think Kane had brought the Hibbert shirt. Um, prior to the game he's ran off the pitch if you see the footage my wife's filming the footage he fires into the dressing room next minute he's come in with with an Everton shirt on and I think he's a he said he had two and a half thousand followers originally I think he's gone up to like ten thousand followers and I think they're all Everton fans so yeah he's ecstatic and his dad his dad comes around Tred comes around and does all that comes everywhere with us and fully supports us and he's mad Everton so what a moment for them to. And for me, that's yeah. what it's about. It's about that in football. It's about creating moments and memories. And I know Recy, Will, they brought all their family. Recy bought something like 150 tickets. It's mad at me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I know Loretta's going to go mad on Monday when he asks for another <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and Josh, just coming to you on that respect, I I, I don't know, the, the, you know who you know in the relationship. So obviously, conscious that you started life at, uh, Arsenal, didn't you? And there's there's two or three ex Arsenal players at Everton. Any, anybody that you know there that you that you uh, you train with and played with when you were younger?
4: Yeah, I know Alex Awobi uh, uh, fairly well. I grew up, kind of grew up playing with him, so yeah, look, it's it's a great opportunity to see some familiar faces. But first and foremost, I think we're not there for a day out. We're there to do another another job. It's against probably better opposition, uh, but. Yeah, Frank Lampard's an idol of mine. Ashley Cole, I'm a big Arsenal fan. Best left back we've ever had. So again, looking forward to sort of meet or being in the same sort of arena as these sort of people. Um, but yeah, no, I said that we, we we deserve it. And I said someone like Kano is it's funny with the, what the gaffer mentioned. Is um, he heard the draw and then just put the shirt on his ba- in his bag? And it's almost kind of like a fate story, the sort of thing you hear um, it's, that's written about that is kind of make-believe. But he, yeah, he had a feeling that he might need it. Uh, and then obviously he's come out in the Hibbert shirt when we've won. So it's an unbelievable story for him.
0: You have been called the non-league Frank Lampard, but uh, so that, that, that's quite a compliment, of course. But I think it's a deserved one, that's for sure. And uh, it doesn't surprise me that you say he is an idol of yours, because if you play in the position you play, he's the best demonstrated practice of it, isn't he?
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Marci calls me more of a Kevin Nolan. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I get, but no, obviously, he's uh, obviously growing up. My, my kind of my era watching football probably had the best uh, English midfielders for a generation in terms of goals. Gerard Lampard and I used to watch them all the time and just try and emulate anything you can off uh, players like them because they were just they were unbelievable. Uh, at the time, and uh, yeah, obviously now he's a he's gone into to management, and he's I think someone obviously respects as a player, and I think off the pitch as well, I think he carries himself well. So no, it's it's great. I mean, Scott Parker was I, I don't know if you know he came into the changing room afterwards and um, was really really like good to us. Um, said a few words, and I thought considering it's probably probably one of the the lowest moments he's going to have as a manager. Um, he showed the dignity in class to come in and wish us well and uh, just shows you at the top level like how they carry themselves is like, unbelievable.
6: Have you been aware of the, the sort of focus, particularly your celebrations got? I mean, in this social media world, they went viral. So you've been all over social media and obviously it helped at the time it was, it was broadcast. And uh, I mean, do you, like, do you feel like you're celebrities now?
3: I think the gaffer's more active than all of us.
2: Yeah. I know that that, that song Weetus. Yeah. Obviously, Connor Smith's heavily involved in the the musical side of things. We have, like, like, Will, I I believe Loretta said to you, well, you wanted a different size shirt. And you said, no, the gaffer's a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a very much creature of habit. People have got to sit in the right place when we do the analysis, sit in the right place when we have breakfast. I have OCD. So we'll ask for a new shirt. And then he went, actually, you know what? was a creature of habit. I'll keep the same shirt. <laughs> so obviously once we then do, Connor Smith goes in in the morning, does heart, well, before the game, half hour sort of on the DJ. Then Marshy then takes over the last half hour. Then, then Connor's obviously done that song. There's a brewery in York that are making a, a, a beer called Teenage Dirtbag. They've got in contact with a club and they're sending over loads of crates of beer. We as <laughs> themselves actually want to come to Boreham Wood. They, they've assigned themselves with us yeah, as cool. a football club off the back <laughs> of the song. So I know Chorley done it last year with um, Adele, which was amazing. And everyone listened to it in the changing rooms. But that come out of nowhere. That wasn't for me. That wasn't our sort of song. It just yeah. so happened went on. When the cameras come on the next minute,
0: <laughs> we've rode <worked> with it.
2: <laughs> and you haven't even got any
0: teenagers out there. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic story. And uh, like I said, we know, we know your focus as we record this is very, very much on the Wrexham game. We wish you well for that. Thank you very, very much for being generous with your time, chaps. Uh, it's a real pleasure to have all three of you on. Thank um, you so much. Thank enjoy. you very much. Cheers, man.
4: Cheers, Rob. Thank you.
1: That was a fantastic interview. We got a great insi- insight into uh, the way Luke Garrard works. And he won- wanted to take the FA Trophy lightly. And the curse of the podcast did occur in the end. Dickie, they were bundled out by three goals to nil. Ultimately, Luke Garrard wants to win every game. But you've got the FA Cup game against Everton to concentrate on. And they're in such a strong position in the league as well, aren't they? Um that game ends a seventeen-match unbeaten run in all competitions. It's the first time they conceded three goals in a match since September the twenty-first. In the national league, they conceded just fifteen goals in twenty-three games, at less at six less goals than any other team. So there'll be a tinge of disappointment, but maybe not too much.
5: Um, yeah, I think so. I think you know Luke Garrett will have them back on it as soon as possible. I, I suppose looking at it from an outsider's point of view, when, when you're going on three fronts, which they were going into yesterday's game, um, then maybe from the outside, you do think and and imagine, you know, which one would we prioritise? Well, Wembley in the FA Trophy is more realistic for Wood than Wood than it is in the FA Cup with that Everton game. But um, yeah, ultimately, I don't think there'll be... Um, there will be disappointment i'm absolutely sure there will but look if if they're going to ship three goals and they ship three goals so rarely then maybe doing it in a knockout competition um uh, and going out is the the time for it to happen and they can you know look to to correct that when they get back into their league form
1: got to thank rob for that start i don't want to don't want him thinking i've taken all the credit for for digging that out it was him who who <laughs> who passed that on to me so thanks for that rob he has contributed this week more than uh, more than ever, even though he's not on the the podcast this week. Uh, before we look at the other FA Trophy ties, one upset really, the one real upset in the competition was Dartford of National League South. They went to Needham Market, Needham Market, who knocked out Yeovil on pens in the last round. And it was a goal 11 minutes from time from Luke Ingram, which uh, saw off Dartford in the end. And I think last time Dickie Darford got bundled out by a low league side in the FA Cup. Their form was horrendous because coming into this game, they were are on good form, weren't they?
5: Yeah, they were. They'd won four straight going into this. They uh, they'd won in midweek away at Haventon Waterlooville, um, to win their fourth straight game. And and they looked like they were and well, they, they have they are putting themselves back in the promotion picture in National League South. Um But yeah, it's a similar tale to what happened to them in the FA Cup. They were going great guns earlier in the season, then um, went out of the FA Cup and their form fell away. So Steve King will be acutely aware of the risk of that happening um, again, I would think. Um, But yeah, it's, it's a big disappointment for Dartford. You get through this round, you are two ties away from Wembley and, you know, Who isn't going to be disappointed if you fall at this stage? Because it is starting to come into view. But by the same token, you know, huge credit to Needham Market. They're the lowest ranked team still in the trophy. Um, And I wouldn't think anybody would fancy drawing them tomorrow, to be perfectly honest.
1: No, it's going to be uh, interesting how it goes. A lot of big clubs... Still in it. Stockport there, still in it. They got past Chesson by a goal to nil. Really good effort from Chesson in the end. And uh, it was Miles Hippolyte scoring his first goal for the club who saw them home. They had goalkeeper Ethan Ross sent off. Um, Halifax against Notts County it was a big clash there, and it was. Um, Halifax, who were going to concentrate on the league. Now they lost at home by two goals to one to Notts County. Ruben Rodriguez and Kyron Mitchell with the goals there. Billy Waters had equalised for Halifax. Another interesting game, Dickie, that I'm sure you would have had your eye on. Stourbridge against Solihull Moors, and it was a, a narrow win for Solihull in the end.
5: Yeah, it was. Um, uh, this was one I was interested in, obviously because of the the Midlands connections uh, and looking at this tie in Starbridge, not my own team AFC Telford, out a couple of rounds <laughs> ago. So, um, you know, I wasn't wanting to see see them fail for that reason, if anything, I'm more likely to want to see them succeed. You know, to see them go on. But yeah, they uh, Solihull got through this one narrowly, a goal from Danny Newton after just seven minutes, um, and. Yeah, another good result for Solihull. There, they are building some form quite nicely at the moment. Um, you know, they'll be fancying a trip to Emily. Absolutely. You know, when you, it's interesting that you say about the the bigger teams that are left in the trophy. That's not always been the case in recent seasons. Um, we have perhaps had the feeling, whether it's true or not, that bigger teams in the division might have prioritised promotion over the trophy and sometimes the trophy's been, you know, seen as the the poor relation and teams have put out weakened sides. But I don't think anybody will be doing that from this stage onwards, you know. Mm. There is a Wembley final at stake. Um, If you think about the, the couple of years that people have been through as well, you know, the opportunity to have a big crowd in at a Wembley final um, who isn't going to want that. So yeah, there's some big hitters still in the competition uh, and it's all uh, brewing up really nicely.
1: Yeah. And um, it's, it's interesting as well that the teams in and around the playoffs, like count, your it counties and your Soliholes, maybe are giving this competition a good goal because in a way, it could be a, a consolation prize if you don't make the playoffs, or you miss out in the playoffs. You can fully focus on the trophy. I know a lot of fans might not see it like that, but ultimately, like you say, Dicky, um, if you like, really, for a fa- if you're a fan of Sauli Moores, for example, to get one trip to Wembley. It- They'll have never had that in their lifetime anyway, will they? So even if they don't get there with the playoffs, they'll want to get there with the trophy, won't they?
5: They are trying to build a bigger fan base there and, and get more supporters in. And the prospect of a Wembley final and what that could do, you know, the, the, the number of casual fans that that might pull in who then might stay as regular supporters um, of the team. I mean, yeah, Notts County have, have, will have been to Wembley in the past. I'm absolutely certain of that. But, um, and and, you know, some of their fans, I think, possibly even there are some fans even at York City who are still in. That um, they they defeated Morpeth 3-2 yesterday. They've been to they've been to Wembley at other times in their history, and and it might not, it might look like a consolation prize at the moment, but yeah, what a consolation prize! You know,
1: it's a fantastic day out. Yeah, you mentioned that game for a while. It looked like York City were going to get upset. They were two 0 down with twenty minutes left, but managed to turn it round in the end, didn't they?
5: Yeah, they did. And it's uh, they've, got, they've got a man in, in amazing goal-scoring form there, uh, but, but actually playing in their defence, Mitch Hancocks. He's been finding the target regularly. He got another two goals yesterday um, to, to get them back level to 2-2 after Andy Johnson and Ryan Donaldson had put Morpeth 2-0 up um, just after the hour mark. And then Matty Brown with an 89th-minute winner for York. You know, and, and I have the impression from some of the feedback I've been reading from Twitter and things like that, that... The fans were saying it, it's the best day we've had in the stadium for a long time. Um, and I think York fans need a bit of that at the moment. They need some of that feel good. Um, and and maybe the trophy can provide them with that.
1: Yeah, there's very nearly an upset on the cards in the Kent Derby. Tombridge took on at Bromley. It was 1-1 after 90 minutes. Joe Turner scoring a minute from time. But Turner turned hero to villain. He missed the decisive penalty in the end. And, and Bromley scraped through.
5: Yeah, they did. Um, I mean, it doesn't matter how you progress, ultimately does it, as long as you progress. And um, Bromley have been in an FA Trophy final as recently as 2018 when they lost to Brackley. Um, they'll want to get back there again. And, you know, they're going well in the league under Andy Woodman. I'm sure it's a disappointment for Tunbridge. You know, that they, they couldn't follow up their fantastic um, win at Dorking Wanderers in the league last week with um, a, another win over uh, opposition who they wouldn't have been fancied to beat. But, you know, you've taken them to a penalty shootout. I think there's a lot to be proud of there. Um, but yeah, Romley, move on into the quarterfinals.
1: Yeah, and the other game was Dagenham and Redbridge against Spennymore, a team you, you know well. Dickie ultimately fell short against Dagenham and Redbridge and had a man sent off.
5: Yeah, it was two goals in the second half um, for, for Dagenham that did for Spenymore Town in that game. Um, in between the two goals first one from Paul McCallum and the second one from Junior Morais is it in the second in the 77th minute mm. um it was um a sending off for James Curtis unfortunately his involvement um in an incident uh, which resulted in George Saunders of Dagenham having to be stretched off i think there was I, I get the impression there was some sympathy for, for Curtis, that it, it wasn't necessarily an intentional um, tackle. But yeah, it's it's a really rather unfortunate incident. Um, and, you know, Spenny Moore have uh, arguably perhaps got bigger fish to fry. But having been to the FA Vars final quite recently, I'm sure they would have fancied a trophy
1: final appearance. And in the National League, it was fair to say it was an eventful game in midweek between Stockport and Chesterfield. Chesterfield led by two goals to nil. Stockport managed to drag themselves back in the second half. And Chesterfield saw it as a well-earned point, the one point behind Stockport County as the day started. They went down to Weymouth, would have fancied their chances and uh, they were pegged back in the end. It looked like they were going to get all Three points. Akim Rose got an equalizer in the eighth minute of stoppage time after Alex Whittle had put Chesterfield ahead in the 70th minute. It was Paul Cook's first game in charge as well. A big, big name that Chesterfield had brought in there. And there is some concern as well over Kabongo Shimanga. He was stretched off with a suspected broken lead. There's no no use as yet as we look. It was a tackle by Weimis Haji Minoga, who's Manager David Oldfield said he was distressed and distraught in the dressing room afterwards. And um it's fair to say it's been an eventful week for Chesterfield, hasn't it, Dickie?
5: Oh yeah. I mean, ups and downs. I mean, the leading 2-0 on Tuesday evening, and then um was it Jeff King's red card that that you know ushered Stockport back into that game. Um, we spoke about it in our WhatsApp group in the week, didn't we? That you know, that the celebrations from Chesterfield. Um, celebrating a, a two-all draw when they'd had a 2-0 lead looked a bit strange. But, uh, you know, I think it's perhaps some of the adversity they've been through recently with obviously what's happened with James Rowe. And and, and I think my feeling is that that's something that's binding the Chesterfield players together. Um, they obviously had a, a huge boost with um, the appointment of their their new manager, Paul Cook, on Thursday re- returning to the club. I mean, it, it, it does look like a, a really big coup um, for Chesterfield to get him back um, and um, yeah and then into Saturday um, unfortunately you know they, they don't collect the points and uh, or, or the maximum points and it's this injury to Shimanga which I think will be of um, utmost concern I mean they have got um, striking um, strength in depth there mm-hmm. but he is such you know he is almost like the poster boy of this division he is he, he is um, you know, such an important player for him, for them. Um, and it's a big blow. But once again, it gives them, not that they wanted it this way, but, you know, to, it bind those players together and just give them yet another reason to, to, to defy the doubters or the people who think that they might stumble.
1: Yeah, well, they were, Chesterfield were the only team in the top seven In league action, Grinsby, they moved up to eight. They went above Notts County. They beat Aldershot by three goals to one. A disappointing day for Aldershot. I think Rob was quite philosophical about it in the end. It was Eric O'Souza who gave Grinsby the league on 10 minutes. Two goals from John McAtee, saw them off before a late goal in stoppage time from Ryan Glover, got a goal back for Aldershot. And after the game, Rob caught up with the main man at Grinsby, John McAtee
0: we joined briefly here at Blundell Park after the game by John McAtee uh, John goals nine and ten for the season for you today a good performance for the side um just spoiled a little bit by losing the clean sheet at the end but you must be pleased with the afternoon's work yeah definitely well, before this game I've not scored for four games so definitely coming into the game I thought to myself I need to get myself back on track today and uh, I did thankfully i keeper um, first one keepers helped me a bit and the second one has come back
3: and I've, I've ended up tapping it on
0: perhaps you can inform us it, the keeper dived where he thought the ball was and it wasn't there did you get some movement on it was the wind or um, did he just misread it I've, i think he's misread it to be honest pal i it I've, uh, it's got good shape on it it's going far corner but i think he gets there and powers pa- it the wrong way so i'm thankful for that and the second one if i'm honest you broke well down the right side and i, and I thought you might have crossed it but you had a go at goal and it proved to be the right thing because he spilt it back out to you yeah, uh, and then you slotted it home. Yeah, no, I just got I, got, I looked up on the scene. I had an angle. I hit it. Not, I hit it well, but not where I wanted it to across the goal. hit the key for it, come back out. And I've done some um, some finishing practice with Coach Bench on when they come back out to me like that, and, and hopefully, well, thankfully it went in. It was great composure and congratulations on the continuation of a fine season. <laughs> Thank you
1: very much. And that was John McAteen. It's been a, a good week for him. He signed a new deal as well at Grimsby this week, didn't he?
5: Yeah, he did. Um, he's a really important figure um, for Grimsby. You know, he is still only fairly young, but, you know, he's, I might even go as far as to say something of a talisman for them, really. If he performs, Grimsby do tend to perform as well. Um and that's a really important victory for them. Yesterday It does keep them in touch with you know the the, the chance of a of a playoff position, which has looked like it's been slipping away from them for, for weeks. But they they seem to have steadied the ship. Dare I use that about the Grimsby Town? Given you know that they, they've got a trawler on their on their badge, um, they do seem to be um, just pulling themselves around at, at perhaps the right time. And uh, yeah, it's an important three points from yesterday.
1: Interestingly, Southend and Torquay uh, s- sort of sniffing maybe a chance of the playoff. South Southend at eight points off it, Torquay at six points off it. Both had away wins. Torquay a bit more expected at Dover, but Southend a really good win in the late kickoff away at Woking. And interestingly, it's a new signings who got on the score sheet. Uh, Jason Davichew was there at the start of the season, but Callum Powell and Harry Cardwell, two players you know well, Dickie, of course. Tell for a lot of pain in the past. Two goals from Iny Young for Woking, but I saw some a South End fan this week say, Do you know what? I've just took fifty quid on us to make the playoffs. And there's always one team that sneaks in, isn't it?
5: Yeah, I saw exactly the same tweet from um, that, that I think it was a gentleman. So, you know, um, fair play to him for putting his money where his his mouth is and and, and where his his heart lies, which is is clearly with South End United. They're on a tremendous run at the moment. They 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 they're the team who've got momentum. Um, out of those, you know, who were just outside or not outside, but those who were entertaining the idea of a late run for the playoffs. South end do have momentum. Um, and they seem to be getting something of a feel-good factor back into the club as well, which is astonishing, really. when you, I think it was sort of like only November time when we were watching videos of, you know, Ron Martin trying to address the fans. I think it was away at Solihull after a defeat and the fans just not having any of it. And and it seemed like a club that was being absolutely torn apart by sort of internal strife um and, and a disconnect with the fans. And in this it just goes to show you how quickly you can turn things around. But you know, there's some been some smart appointments made um at South End and um that as a result of those smart appointments, they've perhaps done, made some smarter recruitment. And yeah, they've, they've got it going in the right direction.
1: Those three other games, the other one I think to talk about is Altrincham they finally got that winless run off their back. And it was a vital win against a Kingsland side who'd been in decent form. And if they had one, they'd have just dragged Altrincham into it. But thankfully a goal from Ryan Coldclough saw Altrincham over the line.
5: Yeah, it did. He's an important figure for him. I think he scored twice last week um, um, and he got the winner again yesterday. I mean, it was um, Kingsland. I think they got a point in a draw at Rimsby in midweek. Mm. Was that right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and and they had a three nil win last week. So, Kings Lynn would have been feeling that, you know, some momentum was starting to build. And given Altrincham's form, um, I'm sure Tommy Widrington and, and his Lynn team would have been looking at that one as a potential three points yesterday. Um, but yeah, it's, that's a really important game, a really important victory for Altrincham. And it, it's a, it's a blow for Kings Lynn. You know, when you look at the fixtures that they've got left, taking points off those teams who are towards the bottom, um, it is going to be so vital. And, you know, it's a big opportunity missed yesterday.
1: Three points for Willstone in the North London derby. Nathan Ferguson, Josh Umera, and JJ Mundell-Smith with the goals. Ben Richards-Everton with Barnett's reply. And also Eastley and Yeovil, they drew nil-nil. Let's move on now and look at the National League, North. We'll come on to the FA Cup heroes' kidderminster very, very shortly, Dickie, because you saw them firsthand. But the big game of the day had to be Brackley against Fylde. And Brackley once again came out on top at at home against one of the big sides.
5: Yeah, they did. Um, You know, whether we count Brackley as one of the big sides, um, based on... um, you know, they've certainly got the resources, but, you know, I think there's lots of comment about Brackley, given the fact that they don't have the biggest of fan bases. Well, you know, I don't think that will bother, bother Brackley Town in the slightest. They've got um, a really important win yesterday against AFC Fylde. I mean, Fylde got a, a tremendous 3-0 win at Gateshead last week. And and you're thinking, oh, you know, they're, they're getting themselves back in the groove and they would have wanted something from, from yesterday to help try and close the gap. But it was a goal from Shepmer and Bedsey with 16 minutes left that gave um, Brackley Town the win. Fylstein fourth. They've got a game in hand, but they're 10 points behind the joint leaders, Brackley and Gateshead now, which is quite a big gap to be looking to try and make up if you're looking at automatic promotion.
1: Yeah, as I mentioned, uh, Kidderminster, it was so, so close last week against West Ham. They were absolutely brilliant. And they went to Telford. Was it a case of after the Lord Mayor's show, Dickie? Um,
5: certainly not in terms of the result. They came out with a, a 1-0 win against Telford yesterday. But um, I, I think I saw a Kidderminster fan or two describe it as, you know, um, it, we made hard work of it. Well, you know, maybe it was Telford that made them work hard for it. That was certainly how it appeared to me. Um, you know, Telford didn't get the points they remain in in 21st and and um, they've still got a lot of work to do under Paul Carden but they did push Kidderminster pretty hard yesterday there weren't too many clear chances for either side they did um, nullify Hemmings and Sterling to a large extent which is a, a, a it was so potent for Kidderminster and it was a Nathan Cameron goal just before half time that sell this one um, a bit of a, a, a misjudgment by Russ Griffiths in the Telford goal coming out for a, a free kick which he didn't claim um the ball fell to Cameron behind him and I think even some suggestion that Cameron was offside when he put the ball into the net but that wasn't the decision that was given um Kidderminster got the points and yeah their promotion or their their hopes of breaking into that um promotion charge at the top remain on track
1: if only could bring Declan Rice on eh, Dickie
5: <laughs> I did see a couple of suggestions that the the, the what Telford were missing yesterday was a, a Declan Rice to come on to the to the field. Yeah, but no, Telford they did they did push them yesterday again. They didn't create as many clear chances themselves as they would have wanted. Um, but overall, Paul Carden didn't you know couldn't be dismissive of the Telford performance. I think you know they gave him. Everything that they'd got, and it, it, it just came down ultimately to um, a, a mistake in the end.
1: Keeping up the pressure, though, at the top. Indeed, they are top on goal difference. And Gates said they had a really thumping win away at Alfredton, recovering from that defeat, as you mentioned, Dickie, last week.
5: Yeah, they did. Um, Mike Williamson would have wanted a reaction and he got one. Um it, it looked like this was a fairly I won't say routine victory, um, because it's never routine against Alfredon, you know, they always make you work for it. But Gateshead came out four nil winners. Um and it's that forward line, again, two goals in the first half from Sedwin Scott, two goals after half time from Macaulay Langstaff, 57 goals in the league now for Gateshead. They are the leading scorers in the league and their forward line is just the most potent line in the division. Um, if you don't shut them down, your chances of getting anything against Gateshead um, are greatly reduced and yeah, a great win for them yesterday.
1: Yeah, in the playoff places, a bit of a a slip-up for Charlie now. That's two games without a win. They lost 2-1 at Leamington. Uh, Boston United and Southport drew 1-1. I'm guessing uh, you might have had a bit of neck ache watching that one. Both (laughs) sides are quite direct, I think, aren't they?
5: (laughs) Yes, I I think I'd read some notes who I wrote. This was a bit of a grim battle from what I can read of the feedback from uh, Fans of either side who were there. Yeah, I mean, I saw Southport in midweek. They got a, a, a 3-0 win at Telford, where Telford weren't really at the races, to be perfectly honest. Um, but yeah, uh, it's another good result for Southport. You know, they're, they're, they, they did lose a unbeaten run, but they, they're, they're back on the track and, and and starting to build another one.
1: Tell you what, Dickie Kettering, they're on a decent run when Paul Cox left and Ian Covas has just come in and kept that going. All of a sudden, they're in that last, last playoff spot, aren't they? They won 2-1 away at Blythe. They did, and you know
5: there is a suggestion out of this that Kettering Town might have actually come out of this potentially better um, without Paul Cox and with having Ian Culverhouse as manager than 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 they were beforehand. I know that seems a strange thing to say because I, you know I don't think Kettering fans particularly wanted to lose Paul Cox, um, but the way that they've gone since Ian Culverhouse has has come in um, has maybe got them you know, thinking that, that that things have all worked out all right for them in the end anyway. I mean, Kettering are in seventh. Um, Cox's team, Austin, we've just mentioned there, they're in ninth. So Kettering, uh, yeah, I've got the whip hand over them at the moment. And um, yeah, they got all three points uh- uh, in a 2-1 win at, at Blyth Spartans yesterday, which isn't an easy place to go and get the win. Um, Callumstead, who's recently joined from Hitchin, put them out after just a couple of minutes. Robbie Dale levelled for Blythe, but Jordan Crawford made it safe in the 41st minute, so they had to um, hold on to the 2-1 lead for the half of the second half, but they did so. Um, four consecutive losses for Blythe as well, I should just mention as well. So they've lost a little bit of the bounce that they got when Terry Mitchell was first appointed, but um, in 18th place. So Looking over their shoulders, perhaps just a little bit.
1: Yeah, keeping Telford company at the bottom are Farsley, Gloucester, and Guiseley, and the only team to win out of those bottom four were Gloucester, but they were playing Farsley, weren't they?
5: Yes, they were. I mean, this was a—I called it. This was a six-pointer. Absolutely no question about that one. Um, going into this game, and you know, Farsley Celtic. Uh, how they'll be feeling today? have only knows, but they they led after 55 minutes. They looked as if they were on for their first victory under new manager Ross Wilcox. But Matt Green levelled for Gloucester in the 87th minute, and then two minutes into injury time, Ollie Holbert completed the turnaround for Gloucester to give them a 2-1 win. Um, so yeah, Gloucester stay in 20th, but they've got a foul point cushion over Farsley who's staying 22nd. Um, Farsley just a point less than Telford with the same number of games played. So it is tight at the bottom. But yeah, the, I think the, the psychological impact of, of losing that game for Farsley um, when they look like they were going to win it is it, going to be it's the big question mark really as they go into the next game.
1: Yeah, also down there as we mentioned, guys they lost 2-0 away at Hereford. Four wins out of five now for Hereford. Yeah, Hera, you're going very well. uh, Thank you. Um, I think it's five wins in their last
5: six for Josh Gowning's team. A little bit of um, annoyance from Josh Gowling in midweek because it looks as if they're going to lose, or Hereford have lost the services of Janai Gordon, who joined them um, from Stratford Town, it was, in only about November time. Another team have put in seven days' notice for him, um, which is commonly thought to be Brackley Town, um, and he's rejected Hereford's offers to stay. But yeah, Mazia kuyar he's an interesting story. They're Afghan international for Hereford. He scored both yesterday uh, one in each half, um, and Hereford up to
1: eighth. And they'll still be entertaining um, the idea that they could make a late run into the playoffs too. Yeah, and the other game was down to two. Chester won a real mid-table battle. Marcus Dakers on one from Salford gave Chester the lead. Junior Mondal equalised... Five minutes later, and George Smith in the 58th minute gave Darlington the three points. Uh, let's move on to the National League South. Dawkiner, they had a setback last weekend, but they bounced back again. And unlike Hereford, four wins out of five now for Mark White's side. It was goal that set them on the way in the 33rd minute. Darren Aldiker with the goal before Nick Weaver gave them the two-goal advantage, and another good win for Darkeen. Yeah, it
5: is. Um, you know, last week's um, surprise against Tunbridge Angels was, was genuinely that a surprise. I don't think any of us saw that coming. Um, but you know, they will have responded in the in the way that Mark White was looking for yesterday, with the two nil win to stay top of the pile.
1: Yeah, three points clear of Maidstone, who uh, had a tough away game down at East Barnborough. There's was only two goal scorers in the game. Jack Barham, who we've mentioned about over the last few weeks, has been absolutely brilliant for Maidstone. And Charlie Kendall, who's got that move to Lincoln City on the horizon, of course. He got another two goals. So two informed goal scorers there, Dickie, getting on the score sheet.
5: Yeah, real battle of the sharpshooters in this one. It's a bit like, you know, um, two gunfighters um, stood in the middle of the street and it's just, you know, whichever one hits the target most. Um, Barham was the man yesterday. His hat-trick gives them uh, all three points and and keeps them uh, in touch with uh, Dorking at the top.
1: Oxford City after a wobble over the last couple of weeks, now have back-to-back wins. They beat Hemel Hempstead by two goals to nil. It was Nana Owusu who got them off and running on the half-hour mark before Harvey Bradley got a second in stoppage time and Oxford City back and uh, on the road to recovery. And they are now only four points behind Maidstone in second.
5: Yeah, and um, I suppose the little subtext to this story yesterday would have been their former manager, Mark Jones, who's now the manager at Hamill. He wasn't able to uh, go and get anything against his old team. I think, you know, it was an an expected result, really, looking at at recent form. Um, But yeah, important for Oxford, obviously, they've lost the services of of David Oldfield as their manager recently, which, which could have knock them off course. But um, yeah, they're staying in there.
1: Another surprise result as well was Chippenham, who were in the last playoff spot. They lost 1-0 at Welling United, who are down there, certainly in the relegation battle. It was a goal on 52 minutes from Ademola Shoknubi, who gave Welling all three points. But they didn't lose any ground because Dulwich Hamlet, surprisingly, lost to Biliriki. A massive win that for Biliriki. Goals from Femi Akinwande, and Dylan Gavin, after just a quarter of an hour, saw them get the three points. And once again, it's just tightened things up at the bottom, Dickie.
5: Yeah, it has. And, you know, let's be honest, we're at this stage of the season now where we're probably going to see more results like this one. You know, I'm sure the teams at the bottom, um, Billy et etc., would have wanted to pull away um, from the bottom before now. But now with games starting to run out, you know, that all of a sudden it, it, sharpens the focus, doesn't it? You realise that there aren't that many games left and if you're going to make a move, you're going to have to do so now. So, uh, you know, m- they were two surprise results, but maybe we should get used to the idea that there might be a few more of those on the horizon before the end of the season because, you know, nobody wants to be part of a team that gets relegated, particularly when there's only one relegation place. <laughs> um, you know, we are all uh, fighting over one spot there. Um, so, Excellent results for for both of the teams towards towards the bottom there, and um, something that will give them uh, uh, just that hope that they can they've got something there to build on.
1: Yeah, the big losers were actually Tombridge; they were in FA Trophy action, but as I say, well in one, won, and so did Braintree, and they won one 0 away at St Albans. They backed up four draws there, so they're on a nice little unbeaten run. It was Stefan Illich with the goal there. I know Tom's really impressed. With Braintree, but all of a sudden, your likes of your Welling, your Tunbridge, your Baths are all looking over the. Even Bath, as I mentioned, they're are looking over the shoulders, aren't they?
5: Yeah, I mean Baths, I think is is probably one of the most alarming ones. You know, we, they were probably um, amongst the betting to be a playoff team at the start of the season, but it's not worked out that way for them. And you mentioned Tunbridge there. You know, they've got to get over the, their disappointment of losing in the FA Trophy uh, to Bromley in a penalty shootout. Um, and and what have they got to look forward to now? Well, potentially a scrap at the bottom of the table, Um, but it's a fight they've got to be ready for because, you know, Billericke, Braintree, all the teams at the bottom, they're not going to be giving this one up um, easily, and the gap isn't that big. You know, we're only talking about six points from 18th down to 21st, so you you can easily get sucked into that battle if you're not careful, Um, and, and, you know, Tunbridge are just going to have to... um, bear down and get and get some results
1: the big thing for Braintree as well is that was only their fourth win of the season they've drawn 10 games that's equal with Chelmsford and if they'd just turned a couple of those into wins they'd be up level with Tombridge and Welling or indeed above them and be looking to push on so it's uh they'll be looking to turn a few of those draws into wins now won't they
5: they will I mean it's just age old thing isn't it you know the, the, the three points for a win system means that you know ultimately you are better off I heard somebody use the phrase the other week about you know if you can't win a game then at least don't lose it and there is something to be said for that but you'd sometimes you have to gamble a bit because the you know the the additional two points for a victory um I frequently talk about Woking in the top division and the the number of games that they haven't drawn they either win or they lose um and uh, I guess from an entertainment point of view, you, you've always got the idea you're likely to come away seeing one side having one or the other. But, you know, just the, the bonus of those extra two points, um, rather than just like grinding out draws, it, it's, it's clear for all to see. And yeah, if Braintree do end up in a position where they end up relegated because they just haven't, they, they've just accumulated draws rather than winning enough games, then yeah, that's going to be a big regret.
1: It's so tight, though, between that bottom spot and, and heading up in towards the top 10. Chelmsford were down there a couple of weeks ago, but they're on a good, win now, on a good run now. They're four unbeaten. They beat Hampton Rich and Richmond Borough, who were only a point ahead of Bath, he was saying about looking over the shoulders. So Hampton Rich and Richmond Borough are now seven points ahead of Braintree, but that's four defeats on the spin now for Gary McCann's side. And it was a disappointing result. As I mentioned, they lost one nil away at Chelmsford. And it was a goal there from Cameron James, 11 minutes from time that got them the victory. Concord, they got a massive win over, really faltering haven and Waterlooville. It was a good win there for Concord in amongst the caravans there. Uh, but for Paul Doswell's side, it's uh, it's not going well for having at Waterlooville. They're another team we have lost four on the bounce and all is not well there. I mean, we saw a video a couple of weeks ago of him confronting the fans, didn't we?
5: Yeah, we did. He was he was trying to um, make the case for fans. I think they were talking about the um, the fact that they 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 got being a playoff final. I think didn't they? They'd, and they spoken about the fact that they'd come very close, and then they'd had two seasons with COVID, um, which effectively been two you know non seasons, and that they've had terrible injury problems this season. But I think the thing that struck me about that video of Paul Doswell was that the the, the fans. He was trying to engage with, didn't particularly seem to want to listen to what he had to say. Um, and I, I, I applaud him for his efforts in trying to do that. But there was also a bit of me which wonders if he might not have just been better walking away. But, um, yeah, it's it's not where anybody expected Haven't water Waterleville to be, 14th at the moment, when I think from our predictions, we probably all would have had them as a playoff team. Um, but, yeah, that just goes to show you... Um, what can happen in
1: football? I've so, uh, got a good win away at Ebsfleet. Uh, win loss, win loss, win loss in their five game in their five previous games, and there's a bit of pressure on Dennis Kuchip, Despite them being in the top five, it was two goals there from Tyler Goodrum. Goal sandwiched in between from Ebsfleet's Ben Chapman. But uh, again, Ebsfleet, even though they are in the top positions in the top five, I get the sense all is not well there either.
5: It does seem so. I mean, they were one of the teams um, that we were talking about early in the season. That w- were they making their bid to be, you know, the pr- promotion contenders? I think there was a, there was a point where Fleet had got themselves onto a really good run, um, as a number of teams have done in the south this season, and and they looked like being dark horses for promotion. Well, not dark horses exactly, because I think that, you know Fleet, There probably is an expectation around them, but I think. We could see them comfortably being a, a playoff side. Yes, they're still in the playoffs, but is their form particularly good? It really isn't at the moment. You know, I think if the playoffs were to start tomorrow, I'm, I'm not sure that street fans would be completely confident in in their team being able to to, to come through them and get the ultimate goal of promotion. Um, and it, it it almost feels a little bit in the National League South as if there's, I'm sure these the these teams do want it, but nobody seems to be able to really grab hold of it. You know, um, Dorking are making their bid for it at the moment. But, you know, will, will that last? We'll have to wait and see.
1: Well, that is it. Thank you very much for joining us, Dickie. You're very welcome. Really, always good to get together and chat with you. Absolutely. We'll be back next week. And don't forget to subscribe to us on... Twitter off. Give us a follow on Twitter at NL full time. It's the same on Instagram and subscribe to us on all good podcasting platforms and you'll get the podcast uploaded to you without having even to lift a finger every week. Also leave us a review. It's much, much appreciated. We'll speak to you all very soon. Have a great week.